Merry Christmas, everybody. All right, so today's account, we're going to talk about two kings, and, and they're going to be way different kings. One is going to be the king of Rome, the ruler, the Caesar of Rome. He, he rules one of the most powerful empires in the history of the world. He is Caesar Augustus. That is his name now, at least. He was Octavian, for those of you who are uh, you know, history buffs. He, is the, or he was the great-nephew of the famed Julius Caesar. And after Caesar's, uh, uh, or Julius Caesar was assassinated after a series of battles and events that we don't have time to go into, Octavian became king over the empire. And, and this guy was quite a big deal. He was named Caesar Augustus, Augustus meaning the majestic one. Uh, he was, this title even had more of a religious authority than even a, a earthly political authority because actually he, he ended up handing over his power to, uh, to Rome, to the Roman Senate. But this handing over his power actually only strengthened his power and his fame and his renown even more to where he, almost, where he had almost a godlike influence in that country. The other king, however, that we're going to be talking about today has a truly different story than that. Although he is the truly majestic one, he is the one who really is Augustus, is the, the majestic one. He is born, he is the one who is eminent and having imposing magnificence. He is born in a truly humble circumstance. He's born laid in a manger or a glorified feeding trough. And it appears that these two persons are worlds apart. One seems to have everything while the other doesn't even have an appropriate uh, sleeping arrangement. As we're going to see today, things aren't always as they seem. They're not always as the eye sees. This little child lying in a manger is more majestic than meets the eye. So join me as we read Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 20, and its entirety. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him, laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. 
And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for uh, this great account. I know many of us have heard this account so many times, and sometimes we can just read over it and assume we know it all, and there's nothing for us to learn. But God, I pray that you open up our hearts and minds to, to hear it afresh today. Not that I have anything novel to add, for your word is, is inexhaustible, and it's been taught by so many wonderful uh, godly men of the faith who have preached over the years. And so, God, we know that, that there's not a whole lot that we can add to it. We shouldn't add anything to Scripture, but, but what we want to do is we want to make it more real today. We want to understand it on an even deeper level. May your Holy Spirit illuminate your Scripture as you promised to do. And as we go through this, this familiar passage, may we, may we grow in that. I know we've enjoyed this so much because we've been able to study straight through this wonderful book of Luke, and we've been going expositionally, verse by verse, starting uh, in verse 1 in chapter 1, and we've, we've been anticipating the coming of Jesus, the coming of the Messiah, and here it is, Christmas Day, and may we be rejoicing as we've waited these six weeks going through Luke to be able to get to this sermon here. God, thank you so much that you are a God who fulfills what you say. And Lord, open up our hearts and minds to hear your word. And amen. So today we're going to discuss or address three points regarding Christ's coming that should lead us to worship him. And the first is we should worship the truly majestic one who is in a manger. I'm going to reread verses 1 through 3. In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. They all went to be registered, each to his own, own town. So at the beginning of our reading, we can see that this, this census is uh, ordered or mandated by Augustus. It was important for the Roman Empire as it aided in their taxation. They couldn't tax you if they didn't know you were there. So this was really, really important. And here this ruler of the Roman Empire, Caesar Augustus, the majestic one who is ordering this, thinks that he's in charge. He thinks that he is the one. He's the, the majestic one. What he says goes. If he says this person's going to die, they die. If this, this person's going to live, they live. He expands his territory wherever he wants to. He speaks as if he is God on earth. Yet he doesn't realize that he is being used by the true king of kings and lord of lords to do his bidding. And, and his thought of being God himself is only an illusion. You see, the Jews at this point, you wonder why they went so far. But if you look at the Roman Empire, when they would do this, they would register in their own hometown, wherever they were. They didn't have to travel a long way. But the Jews, they were dispersed because they were taken over by multiple people groups, as we mentioned last week. Uh, you know, multiple times, you just look, and oh, they're taken over here, and they're dispersed, and this, this family is dispersed, and this family is dispersed. And here you have Joseph living in Nazareth, but his family is from Judea in Bethlehem. And so the Jews, they kept all their records based on family lineage. Family lineage was very, very important. It showed that you were a true Israelite. You had to go back to one of the 12 tribes, and you had to be able to be connected familially, and that's why genealogies were so important back then, too. And so this, this showed us that that's where they would need to go. And we see verse 4 and 5, them actually going here. So at verse 4, And Joseph also went up from Galilee to the, from the town of Nazareth to Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem because he was, of the, he was of the house and lineage of David. So that kind of tells us why he had to travel this 85 miles or so. It was quite a, a trip uh, that he had to go. But this understanding, you know, a lot of people are like, well, why, 
why did he have to go there, and why did Mary go with him? If we look uh, at Mary, Ma- Mary ends up going with him as well. And as we look, we, we, we know that this is because this is the prophecy of God. And we can look at Micah, if we, if we go forward here to Micah. But you, O Bethlehem, uh, Ephrathah, that is a little tiny clan. They weren't even called a clan because they were so small from the tribe of Judah. It says, from you shall come forth one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from days of old, from ancient days. And he's actually called the ancient of days. And this is so important for us to know. First off, this prophecy is written over 700 years before what we're reading now. So this prophecy is so important. We have to see that God's word always comes true. And he knows everything from the beginning to the end. 700 years, 7,000 years, 7 million years in the future. He knows everything for all eternity as we look forward. And so he can prophesy because he's there. He's timeless. We've talked about that before. But we have to see here, too, that this baby that's going to be born uh, is called the, the Ancient of Days. And that's really important for us to realize that he is the ancient of days because ancient days means that he has no beginning. It's a way to talk about Christ's deity. So Christ wasn't made on Christmas. Contrary to a lot of people that really miss this important teaching, Christ was not created on Christmas. Christ was begotten. He was, ma- he was, he was given a body, but Christ is God. He's, and, and that baby Jesus, 100% God, 100% man, that 100% God had lived for all eternity and, and is co-equal to God. He is God in the flesh. Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit have always coexisted for all eternity. But this ancient of days who had existed for all eternity came in human form. Wow. The, 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 the God of the universe, the God who spoke things into existence and, and our song, the God who still holds the world in place is lying in a manger. How amazing is that very fact that that is the God that we're seeing and that same God who is the truly truly majestic one who should be up in heaven being worshiped as he always has been by the angels for all eternity is now in a feeding trough laying there I mean how amazing are we gonna we're gonna see this here in just a little while is this here and then you get to Luke 5 Luke 2 5 and to be registered with Mary his betrothed who was with child we see that Mary goes with him and a lot of theologians have said well you know, he didn't, she didn't have to go. I mean, now there are a couple of instances where, where the woman was supposed to go with him, but they, they try to figure out, well, maybe she went because, you know, her town was ridiculing her. They didn't believe that she was truly pure, or maybe Joseph didn't want to miss the birth of God uh, made flesh. I mean, you know, there's a lot of things, but we know the main reason is that it is to fulfill the prophecy that this baby would be born in Bethlehem. So the couple sets out toward Bethlehem. And know that this, this young married couple, something we can miss sometimes, that they are married, but they're not consummated. So, so Luke t- lets us know again, his betrothed is with child. And that we see this in Matthew one twenty five. Joseph says, says this, but he, he, he knew, knew, or Matthew writes this about Joseph, but he knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. And that's really important because we know that Mary was a virgin, that, that this baby was made, as we've talked about in the last few weeks, this baby was to be made and was made in her womb by the Holy Spirit, created in her womb. How amazing is that? So, she would, so, so this baby would be fully God, being created by the Holy Spirit, but also fully man, have, being made in Mary's womb. And that's so, so important, too, because we needed a, 
a God-man to save us because if he was fully God, he could have never been killed and crucified on the cross, could have never actually died in our place. If he was fully man, he couldn't have risen from the grave. He wouldn't have had the power over death and the grave. And praise God, he is both fully God and fully man and was made that at Christmas. Moving on to verses 6 and 7. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. It's so important to note this humble birth of Christ. And we hear about this over and over and over again, and sometimes it just, uh, yeah, he was born in a humble circumstance. But I think let's, let's take it backwards. What's not there? Like what didn't happen in this story? Did, did, did we see angels just coming at, at this very place? Now we're going to see in a minute they're somewhere else with a bunch of misfits. Just very counterintuitive of how we would see this, think, we would think this would happen. But this God, this God who has been forever praised by the angels in heaven with all glory and all honor sitting on the throne is now in a feeding trough and he's born to two peasants who, to, they're the only ones that see this birth, maybe a couple people around them, who knows, and, and he's laid in a feeding trough. How anticlimactic is that? God is born on earth. He, he, he is incarnated. He's 100% God, 100% man. There's no angel saying, you don't hear, you remember when Jesus is baptized, the heavens open up, this is my son, whom I'll please listen to him. I mean, like, you know, you hear these things, the transfiguration, you know, we, we see these miraculous, huge things that God does appearing. We don't hear God's voice shaking Bethlehem. We don't, we don't see an earthquake happen like happened after his crucifixion. He's just born. We're just said, oh, just seems like such an ordinary story, such an ordinary account that these two peasants are there. And we know that they, there wasn't even a place for them to really stay. We don't know where they stayed exactly. There's a lot of people that, that have their ideas. Was it a stable? Was it a, a room sh- shared with animals? What, what was it? We're not told. We don't know. But we know that he was laid in a feeding trough, most likely, uh, for animals. But can you imagine how, how Caesar Augustus slept that night? I mean, royal linens, you know, people everywhere to, to serve him with whatever he wanted. This majestic one, Caesar Augustus, he's living the life, living the high life. And the truly majestic one, in a feeding trough. I mean, how, how, what, look at that paradigm, the difference there. But my friends, we should worship this baby in a manger. God made flesh who humbled himself to save the world. Moving forward, we get to number two. We should worship the truly majestic one who is with the meek. Verses 8, 8 through 14, we'll get to them in a second. So when the President of the United States would come to a certain area, who do you think the city, the city leaders gather in order to greet the President? I mean, you're going to get probably elected officials, mayors, you know, maybe the governor. You know, you're going to get the, maybe the state senator and House representative people, some other affluent business leaders maybe, and that's going to be who the President gets to greet whenever he comes into town. And it's this big ordeal. The press is there, you know, oh, let's... I mean, that's, that's what you would consider, right? I mean, now we have God, obviously the president, you know, God, way, way better than any president or earthly ruler. He is God made flesh. So, so who would you think that God would go out and gather to be his welcoming committee? You know, if we're going to do all that for an earthly leader, I mean, look back at Rome. I mean, you know, they would have had huge parades and things like that for the leader coming in. Egypt, same thing. We saw that. But instead, it's kind of like, going out and getting a whole group of homeless people on our streets and saying, let's just pick out you know, people that are just like walking the streets of Charleston and we're going to bring these people and they're going to be at the welcoming committee for the president. 
That's what God did. He took these homeless guys, these, these guys who are shepherds, who are the outcasts, or the least likely to be voted in to office of any type. I mean, they're, they're smelly people. They're with a bunch of sheep. You know, uh, you know I know David was a, a shepherd, and, you know, so you would have thought they would have had a higher view of shepherds. By the time Jesus is there, they're really outcasts. They're really not considered very high in that. And so we get to verse uh, 8 here. It says, and in the same region, there were, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And so we, we see that they're lying outside. These are kind of nomadish kind of guys. They have to take their flock. They have to take them here. They have to take them there, wherever there's grass, where there's a place for them to, 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 uh, to look out. But, but they're awake, though. They're awake because they have to watch out for wolves. And so here they are looking out, making sure nothing is trying to get the sheep, nothing's hurting. And then, you know, so far this story has been so ordinary. You're like, okay, we've had two peasants have a baby. They've laid them in a feeding trough because there wasn't a place for them to stay. Now we've got a bunch of homeless shepherd guys out there that are stinking and smelling with sheep. It's like, what kind of story are we reading? Like, what kind of account is this? If, if you were going to write an account of God coming to earth, this isn't the way you'd probably write it. I mean, if there's one thing about the Bible that really helps solidify that it's true, I mean, the way things are written, it's like, well, that's not how I would write this. I mean, this is... Like, I would have some big, huge ordeal, right? But this is how God comes. And this story is going to go from, from ordinary to a little extraordinary here in verse 9. Uh, we talked about before, any time that a sentence starts off with, and an angel of the Lord appeared, that's usually going to be the climactic part of that account. And I can say that's probably going to be at this time, too. And the angel appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with what? Great fear. If you've been going through this with us for the last few weeks, that has been a common theme of Luke's gospel. You have Zechariah, great fear. You've got Mary, great fear. Angel Lord comes, great fear falls upon them. And so just when this didn't seem like it'd get any more ordinary, it gets extraordinary on us. And we see the glory of the Lord, the Shekinah glory of the Lord, sh- surrounding these people. This Shekinah, you won't find it in the Bible. It was actually come up with by Jewish rabbis, but it was to describe the presence, the divine presence of the Lord on earth manifested. We see this in Exodus 14, 24 through 25. And in the morning, watch, the Lord in the pillar of fire and of a cloud looked down on the Egyptian forces and threw the Egyptian forces into a panic, clogging their chariot wheels so that they drove heavily. And the Egyptians said, let us flee from before Israel, for the Lord fights for them against the Egyptians. The same powerful presence that threw the Egyptians into a panic, that same powerful presence that, that, that led Israel uh, by day and by night in the wilderness, as we see in Exodus 13, 20 through 22. And now we see it envelop these lowly shepherds. And, and what, was, what was the response we just saw from Israel? Uh, they, they, were, they were fearful. They were like, oh man, we need to get out of here. And, and so what, what do we see with them? They're, they are fearful as well. But then what, is the, what do the angels say? It says, and an angel of the Lord appeared to them for the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not. I mean, how, aren't those beautiful words? We, we've seen that over and over again. Mary, Zechariah, now here, fear not. And I, mean, I can imagine the shepherds being like, you, do you see what we're seeing? Like, how are we not to fear? I mean, look at how magnificent the Shekinah glory of the Lord is around us, and the Lord is speaking through you to us. And of course we're afraid. But he says, do not, or fear not, for I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. How amazing is that? I love that, that after quieting their fears, we get to this verse, verse 10, and he brings the opposite of fear. 
You know, you would think, you know, you see this appearance, appearance, this could be good or bad. You know, an angel of the Lord appears, sometimes it's bad news. Sometimes it's good news. But this is great news uh, that we see, actually. And after, and I love what theologian Joel Green infers, and he talks about that. He, sa- he says that the shepherds were to trade their great fear for great joy. Like, what, what, what a paradigm shift there. Great fear to great joy. And this good news that we see here is the Greek word uh, evangelizo, which means to preach the good news. And this, this is the verb form of the noun to evangelize that, that we use as well. And this, this word's actually found 11 times in the New Testament, 10 times in Luke's gospel. He, he loves that word. And this is good news, and it's good news to be preached to all the people. All the people. How amazing is that? And we see that phrase, the people, and oftentimes we look at, 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 at the gospels, the people means Israel. And obviously there is a truth to that. This, this gospel is preached first to Israel. It is preached through Israel. Jesus Christ is an Israelite, so that is absolutely true, but it is also expounded. And we see that Luke obviously has an idea at this, at this point when he's writing. He knows that this is expounded to the Gentiles as well as he was one as he writes. So we know, that we know that all the people have good news. Salvation is for the outcasts. It's for the shepherds and the Gentiles. It's not just for the in crowd. It's not just for the elected official. It's not just for the wealthy. It's for, for everyone. And we know that salvation is not universal in its sense that everyone was saved because Jesus came on earth. Uh, we do see John three sixteen for God so loved the world that he gave his, own, his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. It's those who believe, those who follow. We see that in John 14, 6. Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He is the only way for salvation. I pray that everyone here has placed their faith and trust in the way, the truth, and the life. But there's no better time if you haven't than Christmas. Can you think of a better time than, than Christmas to come to Christ? Uh, the, the one who came to us for you to come to him on that day and say, yeah, I want to follow you. I, I pray if you don't know him, this is a great day to, to, to be able to change that. Moving on to verses 11 and 12. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord, and this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. I, I love this. So, so we get this sign that's given from the angel, and it's a very ordinary sign, but it's somewhat extraordinary too. I mean, if you think about it, say, hey, I want you to go to the hospital, and I want you to find the baby that's lying in the garbage bin. You know what I mean? Like, like, like that's about the same, uh, how weird this was. I'm sure, like, they were listening, and they were like, do you, do you mean a feeding trough? Like, excuse me, angel. Like, I mean, like, I love that they just, okay. Like, they just take him at his word. You saw Zachariah. Zachariah is kind of like, so I'm old. My wife's old. How are we going to have a kid? John the Baptist. Like, how is this going to happen? But the shepherds, you don't see them talk back. Like maybe they're so f- fearful that they have it came up in their mouths. I don't know. But, but I mean, that is quite a sign. I, I, c- I can promise you there probably weren't any other babies lying in a feeding trough in Bethlehem that day. I think this sign was pretty, pretty good for them. But it just seems like a very ordinary sign. You're, you're going to find this baby laying in the feeding trough like, like we were going to see here. But then something amazing happens here. This welcoming committee has been gathered, and then we see... You know, it's already pretty cool. We've already thought we've reached the climax, but this continues. The angel's still there, but now it's not just the angel. It's a multitude. As we learned last week, it is an army of angels, and they say this, and suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, 
and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Man, like that's that's quite the quite the account. I mean, they're quite the just just amazing announcement. This angel is praising God, glory to God in the highest, and peace among those who whom he is pleased, or sometimes whom he has favored. And this is appropriate because God does deserve all of the highest glory and honor and praise. And we've seen this praise and glory and honor was lifted up to these outcasts, these, these nobodies. And yet God himself lying in a feeding trough all by himself with two peasants in Bethlehem without an actual real place to stay. How amazing is that? But what about this peace on earth? It's qualified to being only those with whom he is pleased or his favor is upon and this peace spoken here is actually synonymous with salvation. And we know that salvation is only for those who have put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. But, so how can we please God? I think the best way to look is the negative form, Hebrews eleven six. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. This peace from God, this salvation offered, it is offered to all unconditionally it most certainly is a free gift there is no work that you can do to be saved god has done all the work on the cross for you but it does require a response my friends it is not universal salvation to where just because you were born on this earth that you were saved by jesus christ it requires repentance and faith in the king of kings and lord of lords the only way and for those of you who have placed your faith and trust in god his peaceful salvation is so sweet and I pray that you're reminded of that salvation, that, that Christ that you've put your faith in as you go through Christmas day to day, and that you, we remind ourselves about what Christ did, that he humbled himself to the, to the meek, to the outsiders, to the shepherds, to the, the lost, to the Gentiles, namely to us. This is such a great story for us. Read us such a great account. And finally, we see number three. We should worship the truly majestic one who is to be magnified. You read 15 and 16. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. So the shepherds do what I think anybody would do in this event. They get up and go. I mean, it says with haste, like they're like, whoa. You know, I mean, can you imagine? I would just love to hear their conversation on the way there. I mean, they've just had an angel from heaven speak to them a whole army of angels proclaim glory to God in the highest and that this baby's been born who is Christ the Lord. I mean, these shepherds, although they were outcasts, they, they, they most certainly knew there was a Messiah coming. That was a very common teaching in Israel, and this Christ means Messiah, uh, Christos. I mean, how, how amazing is that? And so they get up and they go. And I, I love that, that God's word is in Aaron, as we talked about before, that everything he says is as he says it would be. So he's prophesied Jesus coming, he's come. He's prophesied John the Baptist being born, he's been born. Everything that God has said is going to happen, has happened. Many of these things he said thousands of years before, hundreds of years before, and they're all coming to fruition. And here, here he says what they're going to find, and they find it just as he said. And people often ask me, what, what can God not do? And we're told one instance in Hebrews 6.18, everything that God says is truth, right? We see so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie. How amazing is that? Because Jesus is what? He is the truth. He is the opposite of lie. So like when you think of lie, like you think he's exactly the antithesis of lying. 
and we see that what God has told them through the angel has come true in Luke two seventeen through 19. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told to them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up these things, pondering them in her heart. So they tell Mary and Joseph what had just been revealed to them concerning the Christ child. And it appears when the shepherds arrived there, there were some other people there as well. That People maybe they gathered in because they saw this big group of shepherds kind of walking in. Shepherds weren't really common to be just walking through the town. Again, these were kind of outcasts. They were smelly dudes. They were guys who just kind of, you can stay out there in the fields. We'll bring you something if you need it. You know, it wasn't real common, this whole group, this whole herd of shepherds. And, you know, not a herd of sheep. You have a herd of shepherds now coming. And they come. And so now other people are like, what's going on? And they wonder at what has been told to them. I could imagine it created at least a small, if not a big stir in that city. But then Mary, it says, she treasured up all these things. And we see the same terminology in Luke uh, 2.51 later on. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive, submissive to them. This is after he was in the temple. We'll get to in a, a little bit. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. I mean, she, so she would have obviously noted that this child, this Christ child, God made flesh, had a special divine calling for, for his life. I mean, she's already had that revealed to her. But, but exactly what the implications of that would be, I mean, she wasn't given a manual of how to raise God. She, she, she wasn't told exactly everything that he would do. She, she didn't know a lot of things, and so this, these things continue to be treasured in her heart. I mean, I think that moms do that anyway. You know, they, they treasure things with their kids, like, huh, I, I noticed that he did that or she did that. I wonder what God's going to do with, with that. Could you imagine treasuring up God being your son and be like, I wonder what, what he's going to do with that? I mean, I wonder how he's going to respond to that. I mean, so she's treasuring up all these things. And many commentators think that Mary was a source for Luke along the way because he's able to kind of talk about these intimate thoughts that, that, that she had. And finally, we come to verse 20. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. So the shepherds responded the way we all should to Jesus. They first glorified him, meaning that they recognized his greatness and recognized that he is the truly majestic one and they praised him which means that they understood his great worth we we praise what we find worthy of of praise it, it we praise what we think of great worth and so do we praise god to come to a close we we've seen how the shepherds responded to christ they responded with what glory and praise uh, we, we've seen how the angels have responded to christ's birth they responded with glory and and praise they magnified him. But how have you responded to him, my friends? What is your response to this baby? What is your response to this baby who has humbled himself at Christmas and came down, God made flesh, the God who deserved to be magnified and worshipped by the heavenly host, now is a baby in a manger in a feeding trough. This baby who would grow up and become the sinless sacrifice for our sins? How have we responded to this baby who became a man who hung on a tree and took nails in his wrists, who wore a crown of thorns, who was brutally beaten? What, what is our response to this God who has humbled himself, this high, great high priest that, who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses because he's been tempted and tried in every way, yet was without sin, this God who has humbled himself to understand what it's like to be a human, to live the sinless life that we couldn't, and die in our place. What is our response to that? And how, what is our response to the one who is coming back again? Talked about that a few weeks ago before we got into Luke. 
you know, we, we read the Christmas account. Uh, I hate to even call this story because it sometimes means a false account. Like the Christmas account, this is a true story, a true account that has happened. And here this Christ child is lying helpless in a manger, and it's so humbling. But my friends, when he comes back, that's not how it's going to look. He will come back as the truly majestic one who is worthy of all glory and honor and praise. And for us who are believers, we look forward to that. We are so excited to see him come back for us. We, I, I pray that he came back right now. You know, I'm uh, still trying like Pastor Kenny. Still hasn't happened. You know, n- no one knows the day or the hour. It'd be nice if at least he waited five seconds and did it. Um, I didn't know, you know. Um, but so Caesar Augustus, he thought he was fine without Christ. He thought he didn't need anybody. He thought he was God himself. He, he was the majestic one. But friends, if, if you reject Christ, you have put yourself in Caesar's throne. You, you've put him, you've put yourself as God of your life, God of your world, and you rejected him. And there is much fear to think about his second coming if that is where you have placed yourself. Because God's word says there is only one true God. There is only one Father. And there's only one mediator between the Father, and that is Jesus Christ. And there's only one God, the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit that are one, three in one. And you're not one of those, my friends. You don't fit in that. And so when he comes, all glory and all honor will be to him and is to be to him for all eternity. And so if you oppose that, there will be judgment. I pray that you humble yourself. Again, as we talked about, there is no better day than Christmas to offer your life to Christ and to hand it over and repent of your sins and turn to him in faith. If you have not done so, I'd love to talk to you after this so we can really celebrate Christmas in a mighty way. I would love that. But for those of us who are saved and who are followers of Christ, let us rejoice, church. Christ is born. Salvation has come. Hope has arrived. And joy to all the world. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the joy that has come to all the world, the peace that has come upon those and whom finds your favor. God, I pray that everyone here has found your favor and that you are pleased with them because they have found salvation in Jesus Christ alone. They have found you worthy of all honor and glory and praise because we know that you are. Lord, help us go throughout today, throughout this next season, uh, as we finish out this year sharing your word, sharing the good news of great joy. As these angels have just shared with the shepherds, may we share with those around us because we are sheep and we have the great shepherd, the good shepherd who who comes along with us. And so God, help us to to share this great news of great joy, this good news of great joy with all people. And may we see more and more people saved in our area and in our region and our country and in our world. Thank you for coming to earth, living the life that we could not live, and dying on the cross for our sins. Christmas is a time of celebration and reflection. So God, I know some of us may have things that are, that are, going, that are really difficult, and the, the holidays, especially Christmas, can really bring up some pain, people that we've lost, things that aren't going as well as we wanted to, relational struggles. But Lord, we know that if we are in you, we have much to be thankful for. So God, help us to focus on what we should be thankful for, you and your life that you gave to us, Lord. We praise you, we thank you, and may all have a Merry Christmas.